Thank you for listening to the Institute of World Politics podcast. To learn more about our graduate programs in national security, international affairs, and intelligence, or to support our work in educating future leaders, please visit www.iwp.edu. Good afternoon. Thank you for watching this virtual lecture event. For those of you who are new, IWP is a graduate school of national security and international affairs. We have five master's degree programs, 18 certificates of study, and a new doctoral program. If you're interested in learning more about us, please visit iwp.edu. This afternoon, we'll be hearing from Dr. Marek Hodakiewicz. Dr. Hodakiewicz holds the Kosciuszko Chair in Polish Studies at the Institute of World Politics and leads IWP Center for Intermarium Studies. At IWP, he also serves as a professor of history and teaches courses on geography and strategy, contemporary politics and diplomacy, Russian politics and foreign policy, and mass murder prevention in failed and failing states. He's the author of Intermarium, The Land Between the Black and Baltic Seas, and numerous other books and articles. He holds a PhD from Columbia University and has previously taught at the University of Virginia and Loyola Marymount University. Dr. Hodakiewicz, welcome. The floor is yours. Thank you very much. It's business as usual at uh, IWP. We'll continue with our lectures on the intermarium in the First World War. And this is actually our last meeting. Today, the focus is Poland at war, 1914, 1921. And as always, I've picked a few quotes. The first one is from Homer, the Iliad. Come, the proof of battle is action, proof of words, debate. No time for speeches now, it's time to fight. This was Patroclus to Marionis. And uh, let me see if I can translate this poem by an American of Polish descent who volunteered to fight in uh, uh, Poland during the First World War and its aftermath. His name was Franciszek Stawicki, later member of PAWA, Polish American Veterans Association. I don a blue uniform and a saber glitters by my side. I returned to my old motherland in the last year of the war. I shall not drop my saber because we're still defending her borders. We shall chase the Bolshevik away from our borderland outposts. This he wrote in 1920. And here is a reminiscence by Michał K. Pawlikowski, who was a uh, child or a teenager at that point, young man of landed nobility, Polish landed nobility of the Minsk region. We are in the middle of the stretch of the Berezina River, more or less halfway between Borisov 
in the north and Bobruisk in the south. We, are, we have just left behind us the little town of Berezina and the great forest of Berezina. On the left, that is the east bank of the river, the forests run in a great wide belt interrupted from time to time with patches of agricultural fields and meadows. There are also scattered among villages and peasant hamlets, there are numerous nobility hamlets, farmsteads and neighborhoods belonging to Hetty nobility. They have lived here from immemorable times. This Hetty nobility, which differs very little economically from the local peasantry, has maintained till the end its Polish language in the most pure form. Same goes for its Polish customs and the faith of their forefathers. Following the war of 1919-1920, when the Polish Soviet Front for a while followed the line of the Berezina River, virtually all the young people of the nobility hamlets were murdered for their participation in the guerrilla struggle on the Polish side. The rest of the nobility were mass deported to Karelia to East Siberia, Kazakhstan. In 1924, there existed not a single nobility hamlet on the banks of the Berezina. And Viktor Sukhenitsky, Viktor Sukhenitsky, at this to say, no other nation in East Central Europe had prepared so assiduously for the advent of the future European war as had the Poles. A Marxist scholar, Lithuanian Marxist, neo-Marxist scholar, Thomas Balkelis, wrote, none of the new East European states waged more armed conflicts against the neighbor than Poland. Between 1918 and 1921, it fought in no less than six military campaigns. Among them, the Polish-Soviet War of 1919 and 1921 stands out as the defining moment that not only ended the Bolshevik attempt to export the revolution to the West and helped to preserve Poland's historical presence in the borderlands, but also constituted the political identity of the interwar Polish state. It's all true. 
the Great War was a prelude for Poland to regain its independence after 123 years of slavery. Furthermore, for the Poles, this was a chance to continue their centennial, over centennial efforts to restore the old Commonwealth. They conceived it as a, a reunification of all its component parts, including the so-called taken lands in the borderlands, in the intermarium. So the eastern part of the intermarium. Poland was forced to defend itself not only against predatory powers, but also against uh, various folk nationalisms that endeavored to build ethno-nationalist states on Poland's borders. The entire Polish effort, effort was channeled to restore the old Commonwealth. Uh, the history of those efforts and their aims were aptly described and briefly, succinctly by Viktor uh, Sukhenitsky. Tsar Alexander's general intention to extend internally the Polish kingdom at the beginning of the 19th century had been much publicized during the Vienna Congress in 1915 and was explicitly mentioned in the general treaty. But the limits of this extension had never been officially indicated. In fact, for a certain time during Alexander's reign, the Polish character of the Western provinces of the Russian Empire was fully recognized. They were kept under the former legal system and granted a kind of self-government. A decade later, in 1830, the rejection of Alexander's Polish policy by his brother and successor, Nicholas I, led to a revolution in the Polish kingdom and an armed insurrection in the Polish provinces of the Russian Empire, which until then had patiently awaited the promised reunion with the kingdom. After the ultimate victory on the battlefield and during the following decades, the St. Petersburg government completely neglected the frontier Polish provinces, both culturally and economically, while legally treating them as an integral part of Russia. However, centuries-long ties with the Polish crown were difficult to uh, eradicate, and the Crimea and uh, after the Crimean War and Nicholas's death, the public demand for reunion were the public demands for reunion were heard once more. Supported by mass demonstrations on the anniversaries of the unions of Lublin, August 12, 1569, and of Horodwo, October 10, 1413, several addresses were sent in the fall of 1962 to the new Tsar, Alexander II. Even before the last guerrilla forces of the Polish insurgents had been crushed at the beginning of 1865, 
the Russian authorities had been using their um, unlimited rights of the conqueror extensively, both in the original Polish kingdom and in those areas which had to be reunited with the latter according to the 1815 treaty. Liberal methods of preserving old customs of the inhabitants of the newly acquired territories and granting them their representation and in national institutions as imposed by the Congress of Vienna on British proposal were in direct contradiction with the traditional policy of both the Germans and the Russians. Freedom began to dawn for the Poles very shyly in the late summer of 1914. It exploded in the late autumn of 1918, but it was solidified, solidified finally, at least at that time, in 1921 only. At that point, in 1914, this was not yet another lonely Polish uprising. A world war broke out. The chances for change in the context of this global conflict increased significantly. However, nothing was guaranteed because the war was not fought for the benefit of Poland, but for the benefit of her imperial partitioning power. Therefore, only the collapse of those three partitioning powers created for the Poles an opening to gain independence. The key the sovereignty was mainly with armed and diplomatic struggle. Without a diplomatic offensive, there would be not support from Western powers, in particular France and the United States for the Polish cause. Without the army, there would be no force to resurrect the Commonwealth. As Richard Hypes put it, the Polish army, made of troops that had fought on opposite sides of in the World War, was high in spirits but low on equipment. It was precisely the case. The Polish military consisted of all political orientations and all political orientations set out to resurrect the Polish military. The most famous of all Polish units are the so-called Polish legions with uh, the Austrian army, where one of the brigades was led by a nationalist socialist and a future marshal of Poland, Joseph Piłsudski. When he essentially refused to follow the orders of central powers anymore, his legionaries were interned in 1916. Following that debacle, the remnant of the, legion, of the legions 
following uh, uh, the remnant of the legions, was reformed as the so-called Polnische Wehrmacht with the German army, no longer Austrian under the Austrian command. In addition, on the Russian side, for a while, there fought the so-called Puave Legion. It was dissolved rather swiftly, and soldiers were impressed in groups into the regiment, into the regiments of the Tsarist army. Following the February Revolution of 1917, various units, groups combined to form the Polish army in the east. It consisted mainly of Poles who had served in the armies of the Tsar and the Russian Republic, but also there were further Austrian and German POWs of Polish extraction who joined. Likewise, the legionaries who crossed over to the other side of the front, for example, uh, the soldiers of General Joseph Haller on Hallerburg. The commander-in-chief of those units on the Russian front, on the Russian side, was General Yusef Dovbor-Mushnitsky. Uh, Notabene, in theory, all Polish formations in the former Russian Empire were subordinated to him, including such unit as the Caucasian Legion and the Siberian divisions. Moreover, there were scattered, loosely Polish units attached to white Russian armies and guerrilla groups. They operated from the Kubain to Archangel and Vladivostok. The most important Polish armed force abroad was the so-called Blue Army, commanded by General Haller, who meanwhile uh, surfaced in the West. It was formed in Canada and France. It, its personnel consisted mostly of Polish Americans and Canadians. as well as North American and South American Poles, in particular from Brazil. Plus, there were volunteers from Western Europe, most prominently Polish POWs from um, the German and Austro-Hungarian armies. Next, there were further local self-defense and insurgent Polish groups including the guerrillas of Major Jaworski or the self-defense uh, force of Vilnoland of Lieutenant Colonel Dombrovsky. Regional Leve Elmas was initially extremely important 
the success of the Poles. This in particular concerns the army of Great Poland, Wielkopolska, the Lwów self-defense, as well as the Silesian insurgent groups. The scouts, both Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, were extremely active. Before the state took up on itself to organize self-defense, local units formed at the grassroots and spontaneously. Very often, the driving forces behind the spontaneous appearance of Polish army units were um, members of uh, the Piłsudskiite Polish military organization, which operated underground. But equally frequently, it was their political detractors. Units arose created by various political parties, the National Democrats, Socialists, and Populists. Those were various civic or citizen militias and civic guards. The latter was a force countering a revolution. It was necessary because at the grassroots also, the cauldron of popular disenchantment with the war and the partitioning governments continued to simmer. It parasited on poverty and human misery. Feeding off of it, local radicals became active and Moscovite communists were looking to contact them across the entire territory of Poland being resurrected. Between 1918 and 1920, all those units were eventually welded into a unified Wojskopolski, Polish army. Poland was forced to fight in five wars for independence and borders. The Poles duped it out with the Germans over Great Poland, Wielkopolska, where the partitioners were defeated in, in, in the first strike. In Silesia, they were, there were three uprisings, Polish uprisings, before uh, the province could join the motherland. Next, there were fights with the Ukrainians over um, South Eastern borderlands with the Czechs about Zaolzie and with the Lithuanians over the Suwalki and Vilno areas. The most important or key to everything was the war of the Poles against the Bolsheviks. The clash between the Polish army and the Red Army occurred in a way by force of inertia, as 
the Germans were retreating from the terrains hitherto occupied by themselves. The Poles and the Bolsheviks found each other staring uh, at themselves, at, at each other. <laughs> Spontaneously, a Polish administration emerged in those lands as the Bolsheviks pushed to control them. The first skirmish took place outside of Grodno in January 1919. Initially, the fighting was largely limited to northwestern borderlands. They consisted of cavalry raids, guerrilla attacks, as well as assaults on railway junctions. The control of railway junctions meant control of railways. Where there are no roads, this was the best way to move and operate. Railway stations in the lands surrounding them, there was a sea of anarchy spilling, spilling over. Sometimes this, those activities were pro-Bolshevik, but mainly they were sui generis, driven by bandits and greens. There were also the so-called Bolshevik fake bands pretending to be whites or greens uh, to compound the chaos, a ubiquitous agentura, spice agents of various routes, likewise poured into uh, the territories operating by provocation. A grassroots peasant unrest displayed the tendency to support the revolution at least until the Reds endeavored to impose their order on the peasantry, on the village. Particular resentment, even hatred, would break out any time there were attempts to confiscate food in the countryside. And this was the most important aspect of war communism. In this sense, the intermarium peasant fared better under the Polish authority. Confiscations by Polish soldiers did not reflect state policy. They occurred by the force of inertia because Polish military men lacked any proper supplies. Thus, confiscations were executed in a less brutal way than by the Bolsheviks. And in their limits, in, in their 
thrust, they were rather limited and therefore less harmful. Further, the Polish state apparatus did not aspire to totalitarianism, which gave the people more breathing space than under the communist system. The Poles simply refuse, refuse to change in a revolutionary way the traditional system which obtained in the countryside and in little borderlands towns. At the beginning of 1919 on the Eastern Front, very quickly the Polish army took the initiative. This is when uh, Polish soldiers liberated Pinsk and other borderland towns. The Poles managed to push the Bolsheviks almost the old borders of the old Commonwealth on the Berezina River. Then they withdrew a little bit and they awaited motionless. This was because Lenin and his comrades were busy fending off a powerful, a powerful offensive of the white armies from all sides. Kielsuski preferred the reds from the whites also for ideological reasons. He was a socialist. Only in May 1920, the marshal issued orders to march on Kiev to assist the cause of Ukrainian statehood, which was to be led by leftist nationalists like himself. Following a brief operational success, the Polish forces found themselves on the defensive. They retreated west, and only infrequently were they able to uh, fight off the storming Bolsheviks. Finally, the Polish army regrouped, and in the middle of August 1920, the miracle on the Vistula took place. The Bolsheviks were halted, annihilated, and the remnants fled west, uh, fled east. The author of the plan of the victorious counter-offensive was General Darius Jordan Rozwadowski, and Piłsudski improved it. By October, the Poles had pushed the Red Army more or less beyond the borders of the Second Partition. In March 1921, Moscow signed a peace treaty with Warsaw at Riga. Despite that, for several years afterwards, the communists continued their diversionary and guerrilla activities against the Poles. And the reborn Polish Commonwealth was swamped with a wave of over, of over 1 million refugees from Bolshevik Russia, mostly Jews, who were generously accepted by Poland. However, the victory at Warsaw caused the salvation of Poland. The Second Commonwealth did not become the 17th Soviet Republic. The Poles 
avoided collectivization and the great purges of the 1930s. Thanks to the Polish victory, the Baltic states maintained their independence. Had the Bolsheviks won, they would have ruthlessly conquered the entire Intermarium, including the, ba ba the Balkans. There was a threat that the victory of the Red Army over the Polish army would have triggered an outbreak of a communist revolution in Germany. And its triumph would have most likely meant or spelled the triumph of communism on the entire European continent. This was the prize that the Poles fought over. And they prevailed. Thank you very much. It was great telling you this story.